Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns Walker. Today, we welcome you back to the Butterfly Forecast. Dearest listeners, I wanted to thank you so much for rocking with us for the last two years since we've been doing the Butterfly Forecast. For the first time, we're going to put a little bookmark in the podcast as I make room to welcome a new little human in my life. As I take a little bit of time for maternity leave, we hope to return as soon as we can and pick up right where we left off. In the meantime, I wish you all well, and I thank you so much for tuning in every week. Well, David, we're so happy to have you on the podcast today. I've had the privilege of working with you for the last, how long has it been? It's been almost three years. Three years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You joined, I guess, my management team, would that we call it that? Yeah, yeah, jam management. Jam management. And then you got to know Julie and you've been so generous and you're always so filled with creative ideas and direction. And when we were talking about the episode today, Julie was like, David. And I was like, really? About world peace? <laughs> And she broke it down and I was like, of course, it makes so much sense. So for our final episode before I leave on maternity leave, before we come back, it's really special to have you. Smishy, maybe you could say why you wanted David on here. Yes. <laughs> I mean, how could I not? I was thinking about, so David, not to put you on the spot or anything, but and the opportunities that I've had to slowly get to know you, I've been sort of taken aback by how you take everything in. And like when you and I met up and you were sharing a little bit about your history, it confirmed again how, you know, when you hear about someone's progression in life, sometimes people are like, oh, they wanted to do this and then they wanted to do that and then they got promoted to that. So it, it makes sense to them. But with you, it really strikes me that you've always been very special in your consciousness, the way you take information in almost in a panoramic way. Mm. I'd love to hear a little bit more from you, but you know, you were a model. Mm-hmm. And then you went up that model ladder, which is very hard to do, but almost unbeknownst to you. Like you're like, okay, oh, I'm doing this? Cool. And I'm working for who? I mean, I wonder about your consciousness from being who you were before that to accepting that. Because it seems that's what is really key about you. Well, thank you, first of all. And honestly, it is such a privilege to be here with both of you. I was surprised when Melody asked me to join you both today, but how could I say no, honestly? And yeah, and and just, you know, to go back in a strange way, you know, meeting Melody. And I think when I joined Jamil and I joined this management team, Melody is one of the first clients of Jamil's that I that I met in person. And in some ways, I almost felt like I manifested working with Melody totally unbeknownst to me. Because my prior job, I was working at a model agency, one of the biggest in the world, uh, the society. And I had this really robust history as a model, and I had a lot to offer to the agency, but I couldn't help but to want more for the models themselves to expand their thought processes and to, I think, look beyond this kind of very narrow scope that was offered to them as models. And, and really, it, because it's what I had wanted for myself um, when I was modeling and I, and I ran up against certain limitations and I started to figure out what the industry and it almost felt like what the world wanted from me. And it was like, you know, they only wanted this very siloed, narrow thing for me, which was to show up, have a certain type of attitude, look a, a certain type of way. I knew that I was 
I was more than that. I had more to give, but I also wanted to grow beyond that. But circling back to the beginning of my modeling career, it was, I was the kind of kid that, and this is true of most successful models that I've met, farthest thing from my mind, didn't even know it existed, had never picked up a magazine. I always wore my hair really long as, as a kid and as a teenager. And I had kind of an androgynous look about me. I remember kind of feeling that, and I went to a private Catholic high school and the deans were always pulling me aside and I was in trouble because my hair was too long and it was like, okay, boys have to look like this, girls look like that. And then the modeling thing came along and it was not something that I ever expected, but it was something that when I was introduced to it, I thought this is a brand new world. This is exciting. There was travel associated with it. There were really incredible artists. I got to work very closely with Tom Ford for two years and, and do a lot of you know his last two years at Gucci. I was the face for the ready to wear. I was the face for the fragrance. I opened and closed the runway shows. And you know that in itself was an incredible experience just to be so close to creative genius. And so everything changed. And I think a lot of the rules that I had grown up with in the Midwest, very traditional expectations for what you would do with your career, et cetera, were out the window. And there was a really amazing window of a couple of years where I loved it. I wanted to be great at it. And Julie, to your point, I became conscious of this is something that I could be really good at, you know, in a way that I couldn't be at, at sports. Um, this is something that I have a chance to really excel at and be, be really great at. And I went for it. But then the limitations and wanting to continue to grow and not finding space for it in the industry. Yeah. And so my curiosity is because you do seem to like I notice when you're in a group of people, how you really take on take in the nuances of like who's there and their energy and their demeanor. Most people don't interact with people that way. And you do that like right from the beginning. So I'm wondering how that applies to your segue from modeling into like now wanting to offer different talent, if you will, representation, or maybe even just how to cultivate or aware of bring awareness of like, oh, but don't you know what you bring? You're one of a kind in that way. So what led you personally for yourself to segue from being an entity that was pre-prescribed to suddenly being open to the unknown and going, I think I'm going to go for this. Well, you know, truthfully, I, from modeling, I thought I was going to be an actor mm. and I really poured a lot of energy into it. And I had a small part in a big film. I had a big part in a small TV show. I didn't know about this. Yeah, and my last acting gig was actually on Vampire Diaries as a, as a star. What? And, you know, I think that was something where I put all of my willpower and energy into achieving this goal. And I felt like nothing is going to stop me. And I was coming off of a successful modeling career. I hit roadblocks. I had, you know, highs and lows. And none of that deterred me. You know, when I, when I let go of the, the dream of being a model or sorry, an actor, it was because, and again, it was like having an understanding of what people wanted from me in that industry didn't align with what I wanted out of the experience. And truly, I fell in love with acting because my very first acting teacher, a woman, brilliant woman, Susan Batson in New York, she gave me a book called The Artist's Way that I know you both know. Mm. And I didn't know anything about therapy. I didn't know much about the path of self-discovery. And acting was my first window into, hey, let's poke around into my experiences, into my childhood, um, and let's use it in a way that can be meaningful or transformative in a way. And then there's also the, the excitement of being in front of people and performing. So I really, I really fell in love with acting, but then when it became professional and I was signed by UTA and I was out in LA and I was auditioning constantly, even when I would get jobs, I would find myself in the little cubby trailers, not really feeling fulfilled by the experience. 
And so I, I think I was just continuing to search to come back to your question, Julie, about, you know, my experiences and, and how that's led me into management, both when I was a model and when I was an actor, very rarely did anyone ever ask me what I wanted to do. It was just kind of like, this job has come, you're going to do it. Your flight leaves on Friday. This photographer is important. Go do it. This is your sixth runway season. You're going to go to Milan and Paris and London, and you're going to do all the shows. I didn't really have a say or an opinion in it. And in my acting career, you know, it was more of the same. Uh, I had a manager and I had an agent. And I remember I had been offered two jobs simultaneously. And I really wanted to do this smaller job that was maybe a two-day shoot versus this longer month-long job that was going to pay more money, et cetera. And I really thought David Mamet was producing the smaller job. I thought that was the way to go. And I was kind of, I was vetoed out of my own career, basically. And eventually when I became a manager years later, you know, I don't know a lot of other managers, honestly. I know a handful, but I always wanted to lead with asking whoever I'm working with first, how do you feel about this? What do you want to do? And then from that point, I really do feel like my job is to educate as much as I can about the industry, about the players involved, about the individual project, about an offer that may come in. But at the end of the day, I always want to make sure that it's the talent's decision to proceed with something, to do or not to do it, because ultimately it's it's their it's their career, it's their life. Yeah, I love that. And it also seems that it gives you a um a very large platform, if you will. I don't mean it in a modern sense, uh, but by which you can express a lot of your talents. So before you expressed what was demanded of you, and now you get to express whatever comes to you and maybe unpack that more, develop it more. You seem to have a really natural roll up your sleeves, bend down, grab it, stretch over here, put your arm around them there. Like you seem to have a lot of um, willingness. I'm a good sport. You're a really, not just a good sport. You facilitate things to happen. A good sport doesn't necessarily do that. You identify the salient points in any given dynamic and start sharing. This could be like this way. You could do this this way. You could develop yourself that way. Wow, that's a whole different thing. Well, I'm curious to know what you both think about, because this was a question that I had after my time acting, is this kind of fundamental existential question of propelling yourself in a direction in life, you know, using willpower, using work, using roll up your sleeves versus, you know, more of a listening to what you're being called to do at a particular moment, because I think that was a shift that really took place for me at that time in my life. And it didn't happen quickly. I had to understand what was happening slowly because I really came out of my 20s with a, I'm going to knock the walls down kind of energy. And then you eventually run into a wall that just doesn't go down. And and where do you go from there? And, and then that's when the consciousness and the listening, I think, came into my life. I love that. I love the way that you articulated that so much. It's so true because so often, like I know in that same pocket of my life, there's so many things that I thought I wanted or that I thought. And then once you get into them, you're just like, wait, I'm still, I'm still not fulfilled. So what does this mean? And then I think like it lining up with you finding the artist's way, you know, it's like your own way of getting in touch more deeper with yourself and asking yourself different questions. Like, because sometimes we don't think the thing that fulfills us will actually make us money or will make us successful or give us the other things that we're hoping for in life. But it always does. And sometimes I think that we're not factoring in the deeper self 
And we're not asking, what is it I'm really wanting to express here? And see, like with your acting, I really resonate with your story and hitting multiple walls because when I was really little, you know, I was born like this and my sisters were really my first clients, uh, you know, so if they were something was hurting and I put my hand on them, they'd say, I always feel better if Julie puts her hand on me. So that got me thinking, oh, I have something to express here and I love making them feel better. I love making them stop crying, but I was still shy and I noticed if I sing to them, it had the equal effect. And so my family used to say, you have to be a singer. You have to be a singer. And I sing all the time, but I hate to perform. And then I joined bands when I was a teen. And then I got into more bands and then bigger platforms. And then I had always written music. And But when I actually tried to sell my music, what I ran into was the industry. Nobody told me about the industry. <laughs> and, you know, I had still this vision. Oh, I'm going to sing to people and their, their pain will get better. They're all going to heal spontaneously. This is the best. <laughs> but I didn't factor myself in. Yeah. And as soon as I got acquainted with how what I ran into in the industry, that deeper self was waking up going, no, no, I don't want to use like 90% of my energy to cultivate this thing that has nothing to do with what I want to offer. And I think that's why you're acting perhaps, and I wouldn't say never say never, you know. Totally. And I've, I've thought about, you know, and I, I think someone, you know, like yourself, I mean, should still sing. And I think that, you know, people who have found joy in, I really just loved acting class. I loved mixing it up with other people and being vulnerable and supporting each other. You know, the business is a whole different thing. There's pros and cons to it, but I forever will find joy in the plays of Chekhov. And, you know, even if I see on some random pamphlet that there's a high school production of early Shakespeare or things, there's brilliance and there's beauty in it. And it's totally separate from, you know, my experience in the industry of acting. I think any form of self-expression like that is, is so valuable, but I, I do, I, I haven't gone back to it since, you know, since I kind of, since Vampire Diaries. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good place to put your placeholder. But I, you know, after acting, I, I went back to school and I was at Columbia for, for four years and, I spent two years kind of reading the classics and then two years in my philosophy major. And I came out of it thinking I was going to go into a completely different industry. I said, okay, I'm done with that. You know, I, I've realized I've, I did my time in fashion and, and then I came out and the first and best job offer I got was to be an agent at a, at a, a big modeling agency. And I, I just thought, really, am I, am I going to go back into this? But then I started to realize that I, I really have something to offer in terms of my perspective, because I started to look around and no one else who was guiding these careers had any experience on the talent side. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense in a way. Sushi, I wondered, do you at all resonate with this? Because what brought you into law school, ironically, is what you express yeah. in your your line, your business, your like all the awareness you bring is more effective than had you practiced as a single individual lawyer. Yeah. Well, it makes me think of, I'm like collect Julie's quotes. She doesn't even know that they're quotes, but, <laughs> but I always collect them, but she, you said something one time and I'm like, what should I, I think my question might've been like, what should my prayer be or something? Cause I was struggling and you were like, show me my most efficient path to expressing like the most of myself. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly it. Like there's so much in me that I want to express. And I just want the most efficient path on getting there because I could technically express my gifts in any way possible in almost any setting. 
but it's about how much of them you can express where, you know, because in some places you can't be your whole self. In some places you can be only half or, or maybe somebody won't see it or get it or whatever. And I feel like that's what that process is. It's like in law, I think I would have figured out how to be creative because I'm a creative person, but it wouldn't have been as creative as I wanted to be. And then I was like, I was asking all the same questions too. I was like, okay, well, you know, after I dropped out of law school, I was like, well, what do I love? Like, what are my passions? That's what I want to do. And the first thing I was like, okay, well, basketball. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, maybe I, you know, and I thought about actually being an agent or being a PR person, or I was like, I was like looking at roles in basketball. When I got more into it, it was that same thing of like an industry And I was like, well, I'm just going to figure out the most creative way to make these players like be able to express themselves. And it was the time of Allen Iverson. And, you know, I was just like, you know, something's happening here. But if I would have gone that route, like, sure. But I think I would have still felt that thing you felt, David, of like that slight bit of unfulfillment because I would want more. And then all of that sort of led me to a completely different path. And then somehow it circled around to me making their shoes and you know, doing the thing I really wanted to do. So it's cr- me expressing even more, having the opportunity to express more and more. And so now that's just all I want. It's like, how can I be most efficient in expressing that because I feel like I have so much to offer even still and you know us working together we talk a lot about things that I want to do and the industry is still in the way in a lot of ways but at least I have a more clear direction and I feel fulfilled by other things. Melody I love and I'm sure you've spoken about it on the podcast but you know the story of going and looking for factories to produce your first ideas of shoes which seemed like such, um, I don't know, like a leap of faith in some way of just saying, okay, I'm going to go over to this other continent and I'm going to see if I can get these shoes made. And correct me if I'm getting parts of the story wrong, but do you remember what was going through your mind at that time in terms of taking that kind of like big step outside of your comfort zone? And, and you know, it does seem like a leap of faith to an extent because you didn't know necessarily what you were going to find there or what the result was going to be. When I heard that story for the first time, it seemed like such a a dramatic kind of step to take, you know, towards a new future. Yeah, it was dramatic. But, you know, that's when I first around when I was first working with Julie. Mm. And I think all I needed was one person to see me. And she did at the time, like we were working together and I was like, okay, I have that one person And that was really all I needed. Everything else was sort of just like, I felt like I had hit, not that I had hit rock bottom, but I didn't feel like I had any other choices. Like I had exhausted every single route that I could have. So I was interning at a shoe company. I was, you know, and then I, I was like, okay, this, it it like came to a natural end. And I was like, I can't stay here. What's the next step? What's the next step? And everything, just the next step just kept leading me towards me having to do my own thing. And I was like, well, how? Like, how do you think of something and then get it made? You know, especially with something like shoes, which was really where my heart was. There's nothing in L.A. And at the time, the Internet wasn't what it is now. So it wasn't as easy. But the Internet did exist, which was cool. So it just kind of got to the point where I was like, okay, well, this is the only next natural step. Like I have to create it for myself and I have nothing really to lose. Like, what can I lose? You know, uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock has this quote, you know, because his dream was to go to the NFL and he played at the University of Miami and he was big guy and had all the physical tools, um, but he had injuries, et cetera. And he talks about it as, the best thing that never happened to him. You know, I do think sometimes about my own adventures into acting and, and all that. And, you know, Melody, you were on a particular path and it's it's kind of like sometimes the doors seeming like they're shutting or, 
narrow your options into an easier choice of saying, okay, well, you know, it, there might've been four options, but now there's only one and I'm going to go this way. Yeah. And it was the scariest thing. But after I came back from going to China by myself and doing that whole process, it set me up for the rest of everything. Because after that, I was like, I can do anything. I just traveled across the world by myself. I found a way to live on my own and to support myself in a third world country where nobody spoke the language I spoke. Like I figured it all out. And then I came back with my first collection of shoes. And it was like, after that, I didn't care if I did anything ever again. I was like, I can do anything. I'm making moves. Yeah. But Julie, I mean, I think we all have this similar story. Like when you were talking about Africa. music. Yeah. You know, when she first, you know, started her path on becoming like an official traditional healer in Swaziland with um, her teacher, PH, didn't he, he kind of like told you, he's like, if you take this path, you can't do music again. Wow. Yes, he did. He, he said, um, because this legacy far outweighs that one and you will be more you here than you even know you are. Mm. And that was right before I graduated as a traditional healer. So it was very scary as all I'd ever trusted was my voice. But I don't regret it. Like to your point, David, it's the best thing that never happened because <laughs> I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't take back, even as challenging as it's been, uh, because the world changed so drastically from when I began. I think there's something in us that longs to do that, that thing that no matter what else happens in your life, it's partly what you say you came here for. Whether it's the people you met on that path or those paths, or what you learned, or who you became. I think there's something about that where you say, I have no regrets. And I wish everyone felt that way, you know, about, about everything. And in fact, because this year's podcast has been dedicated to questing for world peace. I feel very much like everything you guys just said is everything that we're not looking at to achieve world peace. We're doing everything except every individual making the contribution they were born with. Not political, nothing ideological, everything that is like, wait, didn't I come to help fulfill this? Because it's the only way from here on out, you know, we make it or we just destroy ourselves. How about we ask these questions about this? What's my simple contribution? And what if the answer is what you're already doing? I think, you know, whether it's the NFL or becoming a lawyer or being an actor, I think a lot of our young dreams also get tied up with this idea that if we achieve that, then all of our problems or less than feelings or whatever will go away. And it's obviously, you know, it's a mirage, it's false. But I, I do think that that's why I'll, I'll talk about The Rock again, but like, you know, The Rock thinking that, well, if I make it to the NFL, then my family and the doubters and all the naysayers will, will stand corrected. You know, maybe my family will be happy, but I think to your point, Julie, it's like, I don't think that you can necessarily be successful if you're pursuing something for those goals. And I think Melody, you were, you were talking about that kind of thing as well. Of just like, if you can trust that what you're doing or the thing that gives you a good feeling or that maybe smaller voice that says, you know, I think this is a way that I could actually be really helpful you know, maybe I can transform my past experience as a model, as talent, as an actor, and as someone who wasn't really listened to, and I can transform that and I can help people who are in a similar situation. So I, I meet young actors and artists and musicians all the time, and they are very vulnerable because they're coming into the world with their gift, but then there's the industry and there's all the people that seem big and it's not easy to learn about. 
you know, unless you have someone trustworthy who can kind of give you information and tell you, you don't, you don't need to worry so much about this or doubt yourself in that way. At this point in my life, that's the crystallization I've come to around trying to make some sense of my past and and all the, these like seemingly steps that aren't in a straight path or more zigzag. This is why I went through those experiences and this is what I can turn them into today. Absolutely. But the cool thing is you can see that, I mean, in hindsight, you could see that you've been this person the whole time. Yeah. That's the cool thing. You know, it's like when I look back and I'm like, oh my God, I did all these different things. I was in all these different environments, but I was still, my goal was always the same. I just didn't know what it was. And that's so cool. And also like your character has always been the same. Like I remember when we first started working together, David, I don't, I don't know if you remember, but we were at a party and I was just so floored by you because, you know, you're a really good looking, attractive man and you work with a lot of like really beautiful women and people and you never put out any kind of like vibes you know which is rare yeah yeah. it's really rare and it's like and I just would find myself feeling so like safe with you all the time because I knew that there was no agenda or motivation or intention it's like you were just so safe, you know, like not creepy, not anything. And I I remember I complimented you on it and you said something that really stuck with me. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. And I don't know if you remember what you said, but you said that years back you had realized that you could get any girl you wanted. (laughs) And after realizing that, it's almost as if you felt like a responsibility that like you couldn't do that. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, I think it was a couple of things I learned when I was in high school, I got a lot of attention from the young women that I was in class with. And that felt like a super power because it instantaneously made the other men, young men in my class kind of be like, who is this guy? And why are all the girls paying attention to him? And I wasn't even really trying too hard to make friends with the guys or hit on the girls. It was just, it all kind of happened at once. And it felt like a superpower for a little while. But then, you know, I think going into the modeling industry and, you know, not only seeing the way, you know, truthfully how vulnerable all of us were, you know, these like young people who come into an industry full of adults who are making the rules, directing us. Um, and I, I actually consider myself incredibly lucky that I had the wherewithal and the presence to avoid bad situations. And I know a lot of, you know, guys and girls who didn't, you know, who weren't as lucky or who had harder experiences or who were sexually assaulted. I think like that's where a lot of my kind of protection over. Yeah. I mean, I I was working with the most beautiful women in the world and, you know, I felt a great responsibility to help to usher them in a positive direction, give them all of the information, you know, be present for them when they had questions or if they had insecurities. But I do think the other thing is that I have four sisters. Um, I have two younger sisters and two older sisters. And, you know, one of my older sisters is like my best friend um, and has been for a long time. And in my 20s, um, I had another best friend who was a female, uh, Yeshem, Yeshemak, shout out. And so I, I think that I've always wanted to leave space open for having real legitimate friendships with women that aren't tainted by flirtation or hitting on each other. Or maybe this is going to become sexual kind of thing, um, because I've really, I've really leaned on my sister's support, my female friend's support. I grew up around a lot of guys who we f- would fight and play sports and go on adventures, but there was real no emotional space held for each other. Yeah. Well, but I mean, that's so cool because I feel like that's so part of your design too. Like, I think that that really helps you be who you are and do what you do in the world. And that's so, that's just so cool to me that it all, it's all part of it. Like, I know, Smishy, you talk a lot about beauty being a design feature. Mm -hmm. 
And I wonder, like, is that, would you consider that this part of David's design feature? Like it, it's like everything about us is designed for something. It's not without purpose. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. But like all design features are a blueprint, you have to be acquainted with it in order to unpack it and utilize it and express it. So like the minute you encountered, like a lot of times we unpack it or become aware of it in a situation of contrast. So like what you're sharing, David, like you saw people who didn't marshal their own stuff, their own like shadow, and they projected it onto people who were innocent and you observed it. So all of a sudden you have the opportunity to ask that of yourself. Like, where do I stand in all this? And so, but you had access to your design. Some people that they're, they're not interested it's right there, but they're not interested. So so when you say having access, do you just mean the recognition when you see it mirrored somewhere out in the world and saying, okay, this is a situation, I'm feeling something, where do I stand? What am I feeling? Yeah. And sometimes it happens like literally in a moment, like a situation happens, you're there and that's the moment you go, oh, I am not that. I will never be that. I don't identify with that. Wow. I didn't even know, you know, that. So I I think we get educated by life. But some people pass those moments, those gifts, those landmarks of awakening. And they keep going because it's more comfortable to be ignorant. Do you think that there's omens in situations like that? That there's signaling, that there's signposts? And, and what do those look like in those moments of either self-recognition or, you know, as we walk down the path? Because I'm, I'm so curious as you talk about this. I so love this question. Yes. My gosh. I know you already know that, by the way. I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was really very, very slick. I like how you did that. I really do. I, otherwise, life wouldn't be fair. The way life is fair, not that we all get what we need, but we all get what we need to get out of where we're stuck into something better, more prosperous, more equal, more balanced. And I think that even more light filled. So you get a lot of opportunities if you're in a situation that doesn't bring out your best. You get a lot of, I don't know, omens always sounds to me like more like a warning Mm. But I think we get a lot of help, so we don't need a warning. Mm. Yeah, a lot. And I always uh, love asking people, what happened before you got in that disaster? Mm. What happened right before you did that? And they always say, oh, I knew, I knew. And, and then they'll tell me the signs. Yeah. And it makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me so happy because then I'm sorry what happened to them afterwards, but I know it forever changes them to be themselves. They're ch- no. What do you think? What what do you see in terms of omens or signs? Yeah, no, I, I agree that omen has a little bit of a negative connotation, but I've had experiences where seemingly simple things. In another time or another context, something that would be maybe ordinary, but just sending a very intense reverberation through my body or, you know, keeping me up at night and then having this logical conversation in my head about, well, that's just a normal thing that happens, right? But why do I feel this way about it? Uh, Well, no, but don't be silly and, and logically all signs are saying that you should do this thing or that you should continue down this path because there's opportunity or there's this or that. And it's like, yeah, but this thing that is keeping me up at night feels like an omen. Or conversely, you know, I've been on the precipice of really amazing things in my life. And I've had similar just full body experiences of saying, yes, this is the right thing. This is the right thing to do. This is the right person to do it with. I've had them recently, you know, and yeah. And, and so I, I think I've, I've felt this intuition that, that those signs are real. Um, but obviously I want to open it up to the, 
the ones who might know and be able to speak on it a little bit better than I can. I don't think there is such a person. <laughs> okay. We're all in it. What about you, Sushi? Well, it just makes me think of the difference between instincts and intuition and how they work together. Mm. And it sounds like you're both. It sounds like you're very instinctive, like you're feeling it. And I don't know. That's just so cool that you're in touch with that. Takes time to trust it, though. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. When um, when you first met Melody, like what made you want to work with her? Was there something that stood out? Well, the thing that I was I was saying at the very beginning of this conversation. So when I was at my last job, I would put together these workbooks. Like I would build books, um, and they were questionnaires. And the idea was that in a world that's getting very loud, in a world where attention spans are shortening, what kind of message do you want to put out in the world? If you only have a split second to make an impact on someone's life, um, and even if it's just from the fashion perspective, what are you saying? What's your personal brand, basically? Because I would help a lot of young um, young people kind of get started on Instagram and, and different social media platforms. And they were always nervous about what to put out there. And so I would create these books. And one of the keys of it is you have to get really specific about who you are and not try to homogenize, not try to be a part of whatever's trending. But like the more you go into your flaws, the things that make you uniquely you, that's the way to go. And then I meet Melody and her initials are M-E and her brand is kind of about being yourself, you know, despite the noise, despite all these other things, choose me. And I do feel like that was very much in line where where my inspiration was going in terms of, I don't know, just working with, with individuals who weren't trying to just do what everyone else was doing to try to get more Instagram followers or try to get um, more attention or more brand deals by going against who they actually are just never seemed like a winning formula to me. Mm. And then I met Melody who was kind of taking the opposite approach, which was like, she was just really trusting in her own instincts and intuition and vision and the things that inspired her and putting those messages out there into the world. And that, people were really reacting so positively to it. And I think the Jordan, the fearless had just come out after I met Melody and um, we, we took a trip up to Portland and then we did a Chicago trip together and we went to Michael Jordan's birthday party and Melody knew everyone there. And I was like, wow, it really does. It's working and, and it's incredible. And so that's kind of why I thought like, you know, there was a little bit of manifestation involved into moving and working with Jamil and meeting Melody and, Jenea, you know, incredible people that I have the privilege of working with. That's so inspiring. It's so inspiring. Um, the way you share it, it lets a person see how flowers open, you know, that that there's a process. First, you got to find where you stand, who you are, then yeah. connected to people. And then things happen. You know, there has to be a sequence. Now, did I get any of that right? Yeah, no, it's funny. I was just thinking about, <laughs> I was just laughing because I feel like you've taught me so much just by being yourself without even knowing. Because I think when I, we first started working together, I was a little bit judgmental of you. Tell me. And I was like, who's this dude Jamil brought in? And I was <laughs> like, you know, as like, he's, is he a suit? Like, he's, is he like too brand? oriented because I was kind of resistant to the whole thing. You know, I had grown everything very organically for a very long time. And Jamil was my first foray into sort of like being more professional in a sense, like in that way or more linear. I don't know how to explain it. And then I remember the first time we went to Portland together and you wore, I forgot what shoes you wore, but you wore like- projects. Yeah, common projects. And I was like, this dude, I was like, who is this dude? Not like, even wearing Nikes. Yeah, not even wearing Nikes, which is kind of like an, an unspoken <laughs> rule. Like you don't walk into a Jordan <laughs> building and not wear, or on the campus, period. 
<laughs> the funny thing is, is they sent me a bunch of Nikes after that. After that. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was just like, there's like little moments like that where I was just like, kind of like, Ugh, he doesn't get it. But mm. I, really, I didn't know you yet. And then the more we spent time together and then when we took those trips and I would just kind of like, I'm more of an observer versus uh, like a question asker. And the more I'd observe you. And then, of course, we have the best conversations about basketball ever. Yeah. I love talking with David about basketball. Yeah. Um, and then I was love like, the game. love of the game. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, he does actually get it. And he gets it so much more than even I get it. He's just more free Whoa. than I am. I feel like you've, you know, it's kind of really opened me up, like even out of my own world or my own rules of engagement, you know, with a lot of things. So, you know, after the trip to Chicago, I, cause I have to admit when I met you, it's not that I was skeptical. It's just, I didn't, I didn't know who you were and, and, and you weren't really from the world that I came from. And so I think I was trying to learn as much as I could about you, but also I think understand your gifts and, and how you, you know, relate to the world and, and your audience and, and your design. But it was after the Chicago trip, I came back and I said to Jamil, I said, Melody's incredible. We need to have like a big brand deck on her that <laughs> because I, I honestly, I think it was after the, the Chicago trip, I was like, okay, well, where's, where's information on the Iverson shoe and where's information on the fearless and where are the articles on her? Like, let me get all the articles. And I was like, okay, there's some, but there's not enough. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like a scrapbook. I just started putting together the first iteration of what would become the Melody Asani brand deck that we use. And it was a little janky, but it was kind of like, it, it was coming together. Yeah. And I think, I think that was the moment where I really understood you and, and your gift and, and what all the noise and excitement was about. And I think also probably through me learning about you, I was revealing more about myself. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, I think we were doing the same exact thing with exactly. one another. We yeah. were just from different worlds and like looking at each other like, <laughs> wait, our worlds don't really... <laughs> Aren't really, you know, because he, yeah. So it was kind of amazing learning more about your gifts as well and seeing how they could like work together. And I was, I was so resistant to that press stuff, you know, I was like, well, not that I was resistant to it, but in the way, like I, again, I never like formalized it. I'm like, well, the people that know, know, like if you know, you know, Mm-hmm. But then after meeting you, and I guess maybe it's because you didn't know, you were like, wait, why don't I know? Other people need to know. And then it made me think like, wait, he's in this world and he doesn't know. Like, I guess maybe it's time to take another step or like get out of my comfort zone a little bit and take the next step towards growth. Like maybe this is what growth looks like. Yeah. And, you know, coming out of, you know, two years with Foot Locker and, you know, I think we've learned so much about, you know, the market out there. And, you know, I've learned so much about women's basketball, honestly, I think since working with you mm -hmm. just because I've, I've confronted it more and, and, and really dug in and learned about the players, but also the limitations around, you know, television rights and what's on air and what's not on air and exposure. And I do think that a big part of, you know, breaking down some of those barriers is, you know, having someone like you in particular reach a larger audience. Thanks, David. <laughs> Definitely. I so agree. I, I so agree. And for yourself, David, now that you um, have your experiences on your end of that development, like if Melody created organically I would say what she's about, you know, what she creates. And then you are more about developing. So it's like she created and then you develop it. And you you help her take it from her personal arena into the public arena. And I wonder, do you have dreams for yourself? Well, I think it goes back to what I said a little bit ago, you know, that 
that shift that came in me from really projecting my desires out into the world versus listening for what I might be best at, you know, where I can actually be of service, where, you know, I really think more than anything I want, you know, I want my time and my energy and my life to be utilized in a positive and an effective way. I'm not so married to what it looks like as much as I, as I wanted to really feel like I am contributing something meaningful mm. and whether or not that means that, you know, I'm getting some type of uh, recognition for it is less important than I think just the contribution itself. And I, I really feel like I'm still in the listening mode. You know, I, it, it's just in the last couple of years that I've started to make the connection between, you know, my experience as talent feeding into what I can contribute as a manager. I, I also kind of consider myself an educator because I actually think I would have made a great college professor, weirdly. Yes. Like, honestly, I, my philosophy days in school, I could go, I could get so deep into it. I could get so excited about it, you know, but I, I think I do want to, you know, and, I, and I, I'm so fortunate to get to work with Jamil, honestly, but I want to build careers, but I also want to build a culture and a community where artists can grow and find the type of opportunities that are there for them and to do it in a positive way. I mean, so much has happened in the last 10 years with, you know, the ousting of creepy, sleazy people in various industries. And and thank God, honestly, thank God. Yeah. But I, I think the question now is, you know, what does the more positive culture look like? for being able to, to be talent and work in this industry, you know, and uh, I know that's really important to Jamil and I t- to help usher that forward and to do it in a positive way. That's so beautiful. Wow. 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 Gold. David, thank you so much. Yeah, y'all. Uh, it's so wonderful to have a conversation <laughs> with you. You're, you're such a pleasure. You're so easy to have a conversation with. And um, I feel like, really help us see the inner workings of what goes on, like a lot of things that we have in uh, visual arts, visual products. And and I love how you help us see the inside of it. Well, I mean, it's always a pleasure. Anytime, on camera, off camera, Julie, I'll, next time I'm in Chicago, I'm absolutely going to hit you up for lunch. Yes, please. Melody, when am I going to see you? I don't know. I feel neglected. <laughs> oh, no. There's more of her to see right now. Don't make yeah. it. <laughs> well, honestly, such a pleasure always talking to both of you. And and I'm honored. I'm still surprised that you asked me, but happy to be there. <laughs> <laughs> David, we're so thankful. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us. See you next time. 